Good afternoon. And uh, thank you so much, Andy, for that introduction. My wife, Ziki, who's the only girl in our family, uh, sends uh, greetings. They've already been to church, and she's been praying for me, and she's praying for us. And on behalf of uh, Christ Community Church, Lighthouse Christian School, and the Copper Belt Pastors College, everyone says thank you so much for your prayer and financial support. Uh, whenever you visit in another context, it's kind of awkward feeling when you're a stranger. But I want to tell you that I'm not on strange ground. Uh, we have Jay, Samuel, Jesse, Joanne, and uh, Mr. Ivan uh, Brown, who came for me this morning and waited upon me. And thank you for your hospitality and generosity. He's also been to Zambia. So in case I look like a stranger to you, I'm not. Uh, uh, we have friends here that uh, have served us so well. And once again, on behalf of everyone, thank you so much for your service, your partnership, your friendship. You served us so well. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Having said that, let me quickly invite you to turn to the gospel according to Matthew. And chapter 28, and shall we stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Matthew 28, beginning to read at verse 16. I commence reading from the ESV. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's for God's inerrant and inspired word, and shall we look to him in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can open your holy scriptures this morning. We thank you that the entrance of your word brings light and understanding. Thine word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you that all scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for teaching rebuke and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Help us not just to be hearers of God's word, but doers also, lest we deceive ourselves. And I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for Christ's sake, amen. You may kindly be seated. <coughs> Last Sunday, I was preaching in the Sovereign Grace Church in Bensville, Minnesota, where Rick, Rick Gamash is the senior pastor we had a wonderful time of fellowship there. 
Of course, when you visit any church, there are a number of things that impress you. Uh, if you're like me, I always look for evidences of God's grace. You enjoy the warm fellowship that you receive from God's people, which I can say I've already enjoyed uh, since I came to your campus here. But I usually try to look at the church's mission or vision statement. Why does this church exist? So when I took time to look at the Sovereign Grace Church's mission statement in Minnesota, this is what they think God has called them to do. They say, we exist to make disciples who delight in, display, and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. We exist to make disciples who delight in, display, and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then they've taken time to unpack that for uh, would-be church members or those who like to connect with their local church. The mission of the church, that's a Sovereign Grace Church in Minnesota, the mission of the church in Verso is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's mission and the mission of the church are inseparably linked. As those who have been reconciled to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are now ambassadors of reconciliation to a lost and broken world. We plead, reason, pray, serve, preach, teach, and gather to see God glorified through the, the reconciling power of the gospel. They further on highlight their mission by saying, at Sovereign Grace Church, we bring together the mission of God and the mission of the church by making disciples. Mark those words. By making disciples who delight in, display, and declare the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, we bring glory to God as we delight in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, grow in becoming more like Jesus, and go into our lost and broken neighborhoods, our communities, and the world to declare the good news. I love that. And I believe we are on the same page with Christ Community Church. Our desire is to spread the gospel in the highways and byways, wherever human hearts and human woes abound, so that people may come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I try to look at the mission statement or vision statement for Risen Hope, this is what it says, and I quote, Worshipping God and welcoming all with gospel truth and neighborhood love. And I thank God for that. In the passage before us, the Lord Jesus Christ commissions his disciples to go into the whole world and make disciples. And he promises his abiding presence. And I believe that's what church is about. We can be in church and get involved in this and that program. Thank you for so many activities and programs in churches today. But the question we should ask ourselves, with all these activities, are we fulfilling God's commission to make disciples? It can be entertaining and exciting to have high-tech this, I take that. But the question is, are we making disciples? Now, the passage before us is what we've 
come to know as the Great Commission. And this morning, I want to speak to that. And the title of my sermon is The Great Commission. Although, unfortunately, it has become the Great Omission. Now, other gospel writers have recorded uh, this commission in their own words, and thank God that gives us a wider perspective of the Great Commission. You recall in Mark 16, verses 15 to 16, Jesus came to his disciples and said, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. So you see in Mark 16, the emphasis on going into the whole world and preaching the gospel so that people can come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke renders this commission slightly different. In Luke 24, verses 46 to 47, this is what he says. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Mark the emphasis on all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus comes to his disciples in the upper room in John 20, verse 20, and says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Luke captures this great commission in Acts 1, verse 8. He tells his disciples, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Those are just a few scriptures where the great commission is recorded. You go to the Old Testament. God's desire is that the nations should turn Unto him. You see that in the Abrahamic covenant. So the Great Commission is not a New Testament idea. It's on God's heart. God's desire is that the nations should hear the gospel. So this morning, I want us to look at three important truths as we revisit the Great Commission. I've listened to Tim's sermons and I thank God for this congregation. You are exposed to solid biblical teaching. So you are not coming to that text for the first time. But God sometimes allows us even to revisit familiar passage, passages like this one. So I want us to look at Jesus' authority, the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. Then we want to look at this all-encompassing command. And thirdly, we want to look at this precious promise that Jesus gives to the church. Quickly. Uh, let's consider the absolute authority of Christ Jesus. Now, you have to notice that this command is given in a context of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Many times we quickly rush to verse 18 to 20 when we're considering the Great Commission. Now, verses 1 to, 20, uh, to 15 are very significant. Uh, we have a record of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. If Christ did not rise from the dead, the Great Commission would not make sense. And Paul captures that in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then our preaching would be in vain. I would be jobless. Thank God Jesus rose from the dead and have a job. If Christ did not rise from the dead, 
Our preaching will be useless. Preaching the gospel to all nations will not make sense. So the Great Commission is rooted in the fact that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he appeared, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So is the focus, is the vision of the Great Commission. Many times we want to encourage people to go out there and bring them in. Thank God. Let's not lose focus of Christ himself. So I see that the Great Commission is Christocentric. We can do all kinds of things in church, but the question is, where's the place of Christ? So this passage is rooted in Christ's resurrection from the dead. The absolute authority of Christ. Christ comes to his disciples. Some worship him, others doubt him. They worship him because he's worthy of worship. Friends, mission and worship should not be separated. Don't put asunder what God has joined together. Before they receive this commission, they worship him. And as they're going to this mountain, Pray in their minds, they know that this is not an ordinary meeting. Because in the Bible, encounters at mountains were very significant. Talk about Mount Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments. Mount Carmel in the New Testament, the Mount of Transfiguration. Then this designated mountain. So Jesus has something to lay upon the shoulders of his disciples. He's giving them an agenda and a program for world evangelization. Let's look at his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. When we talk about authority, quickly, we have ideas of rule, control, leadership, somebody in charge. I'm sure many sovereign grace churches believe that the man is the head of the wife. Although some wives believe they are the neck of the head and they turn the neck around. We believe the man is the head of the wife. He has authority. But I want to remind you, if you're a husband, that you don't have authority. Only Jesus has absolute authority. Sometimes we are uncomfortable when we hear of authority. We recall, we, we shrink, we retreat from authority because we are rebels by nature. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus is reminding us that whether we are uncomfortable with authority, is in charge, is Lord, is King of Kings. He does not just have authority; he also, he also has power to exercise that authority. And that little adjective there, "all," declares the complete and unlimited scope of the bestow of power. So his authority is unrestrained, it's boundless. So as you think of Jesus Christ, don't just think of somebody who has authority in Jerusalem or in church. Jesus says, authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. For a moment, try to contrast Jesus' authority to that of kings, queens, uh, emperors, chiefs, presidents, chancellors, premiers. Uh, the authority is restricted. It's circumscribed. It's confined to their countries. The president of Zambia has authority as far as the borders of Zambia extend or go. He has no authority over Malawi, no authority over Zimbabwe. 
Now, I can make political statements, whether I'm politically correct or incorrect, without any risk, because I'm not an American. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. As I'm listening to these presidential debates, you get the impression that these candidates have authority. I'll do this, I'll do that. Mr. President or Mrs. President, you don't have authority. In our system, you may desire to do this and that as a president, but you have to run that through parliament. Congress has to endorse that. Friends, as you think about uh, the upcoming elections, be reminded that authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus, not your presidential candidates. Amen. Yes, the elections look scary. Maybe you've never had anything like that. But be comforted in the fact that authority in heaven and on earth is not contained in the corridors of power in Washington, D.C., Authority in heaven and on earth belongs to King Jesus, the risen and reigning King. And that's very comforting. So it's in the plenitude of this authority that Jesus now lays this command upon the shoulders of his disciples. So when he tells them, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, if you're asking, Lord, how are we going to do it? No, authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, and I'm delegating that authority unto you. Go and make disciples. That is encouraging. That is comforting. Scripture is replete with passages uh, on Jesus' authority. Let me just read a few with you. Matthew 11, verse 27, the Bible says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. That's Jesus Christ. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except His Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. John 3, verse 35 the Holy Scriptures read, The Father loves the Son and has given him all things into his hands. How about John 13 verse 3? Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things, not some things. That's why Jesus says, All things in heaven and on earth have been given unto me. Authority has been given unto me. Yes, you may want to build a wall somewhere. In the, you have authority as far as that wall is concerned but you don't have authority to do anything and everything. So authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. I love Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 22. As Paul prays for the church, he desires that the eyes of their hearts be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Jesus has authority because God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
and he put all things, not some things, all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 18. Imagine a king or Caesar hearing these words. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him and is before all things and in him all things hold together and is the head of the body, the church is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything it might have preeminence. So what are we saying? All things have been given to Jesus Christ. He has authority over principalities, powers, demons, sicknesses, diseases. Asia visit the United States of America once a year. Uh, last year I went down to Jackson, Mississippi, because uh, that's where we lived for four years. So I ran into this friend of mine, in fact, who was a classmate when I was studying at RTS. We just exchanged greetings, and he quickly asked me, oh, what's the situation of Ebola uh, in Africa? So I gave him a little lesson on geography. I told him that I'm far removed from Ebola than you are, because you are closer to Texas, where a man was admitted for Ebola. Yeah. The point is, now, if you are coming to visit in Africa or any place, you want to know a few things, the demographics. But friends, whether there are challenges of sicknesses, disease, witchcraft, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. And Jesus has delegated that authority to his disciples. He has given them power to tread upon scorpions and serpents. And the apostle Paul understands this authority. That's why he can confidently say, I'm persuaded that neither life nor death, principalities, powers, things present nor things to come shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. What scares you as Americans? What challenges are you facing? These are real challenges. Some imagined challenges. I'm here to remind you that the one who has authority above everything has delegated that authority to the church. If that grips you, you'll be a firebrand in the hands of God. Men and women who recognize this authority have turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. You recall... In the Gospels, especially Luke 10, Jesus sends the 70 two by two and he gives them instructions and they go under his authority to cast out demons, to cleanse lepers. So they come back and they give Christ a mission report. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Even demons were subject to us. Duh, I gave you authority over demons. What's so exciting about demons being subject to you? Then Jesus reminds them that I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. So boys, don't get excited that demons are subject to you. Rather rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. 
Thank God if demons are subject to us. That's just a reminder that they are under the authority of Christ Jesus. Your two presidential candidates are under the authority of Jesus Christ. They can only do what Jesus Christ sovereignly permits them to do. And that's comforting as you prepare for these elections. And I want to ask us this afternoon, under whose authority are you ministering? Missionaries who've gone outside America to be used of the Lord, partly because they were zealous, they were passionate, but mainly because they recognize who has sent them. The team that came to serve us from Covenant Fellowship and partly from here, you didn't come because you had money. There are people with money and they can't go. You came because you came under the authority of Jesus Christ. There were challenges and thank God you submitted to his authority. If you're a stranger to God's grace this morning, you are not a Christian, you go to church, you partake of the Lord's Supper, you give of your finances, I want to ask you, under whose authority are you living? Have you submitted to the Lordship and authority of Jesus Christ? There are so many people, especially in affluent communities like yours, they think they have figured out everything, they have everything together, and they have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. In him, all things exist. He holds everything together, including your wealth. So submit to his authority. If you don't do that today, one day you submit to him as your judge. Better recognize his authority as Savior. May your tongue confess him as Lord and your knee bow before him and say, Lord, there's no one above you. May you reign in my heart. If you confess with your lips, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Recognize his authority. There are people who claim to be Christians, but they are running their own lives. God forbid. Jesus is Lord and is King of Kings. Many of us are familiar uh, of the name Charles Thomas Stad or City Stad. He was a cricketer in England, but he was a missionary to China, India, and Africa. This man had an amazing confidence in God and Christ's authority over everything. His courage and passion for Christ was very contagious. His determination never to sound or re retreat, his conviction that he was in God's will, his faith that God would see him through his Contempt of the arm of flesh and his willingness to risk all for Christ just goes to tell us that he recognized who was in authority. His theme was forward ever, backward never. One time he said, some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I like that. So I've labored to explain and communicate that authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. That's why you see uh, in those verses, everything is all-encompassing. Go to all nations. Uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things as I've commanded you. Lord, I'll be with you always because Jesus is Lord. We can come up with evangelistic programs and all kinds of activities for the church 
But the question is, who's calling the shots? Who's in charge? And I believe this church espouses uh, a doctrine that teaches us that Christ is the head of the church. So this is important for missions. I can spend time talking about how we go about making disciples. But the question is, under whose authority are you doing that? I can serve effectively, become popular, take center stage, receive platform, and doing everything in the energy of the flesh. You dare not trust your own. The arm of flesh will fail you. So this is very significant. Like I said, it's in the plenitude of this authority that now Jesus lays upon the shoulders of his disciples this big agenda. It looks daunting. It looks challenging. Going into the world where there are Pharisees, teachers of the law, principalities, powers, opposers. Just go with my authority. Uh, if you go in your own authority, you'll fail. But if you go in my authority, you'll be more than conquerors in my name. So having looked at that authority, let's look at the all-encompassing command. This is not a proposal. Look at the command. Go and make disciples. Go therefore. And that therefore is there for a reason. And sometimes I explain to students in Bible school, when you see therefore, ask yourself, therefore what? Authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things as I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always till the close of the age. Now, when you look at that passage, it's very easy to say, oh, Christ commanded his disciples to go and in many countless efforts to encourage people to evangelize the world, we've encouraged them to go. Friends, there's a place for going. Amen. If we don't go, they won't get saved. If that youth team didn't get, come to Zambia, if you didn't go to Africa, what you came to do would not be done. But as we look at that command or those verses, we probably need to revisit the passage. There are four major activities related to world evangelization and discipleship. There's the go itself, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. And it's very easy to say Jesus has commanded us to go. No, the main verb, the imperative in that passage is make disciples. One word in Greek, two words in English. And sometimes students ask me, what does that mean? You say, these are simple words. Go, make disciples. What part of make disciples don't you understand? That's a simple command, make disciples. And I want to suggest to you that this is not a proposal. When somebody is making a proposal, you can tell what they are talking about. If you are married like me, and my wife calls me, honey, buy some milk. That's not a proposal before you come home. So I go home, where's the milk? Oh, I thought it was a suggestion. No. Even the tone can tell you, honey, can you buy some milk? She may even say can, but it's not a proposal. <laughs> honey, dear, can you kindly? It sounds like a request, but it's a command. So the command here is make disciples. Amen. Two words, make disciples. Quickly, how do you make disciples? Jesus made disciples. 
The first thing he did was to call them unto himself. He spent the whole night in prayer. Then he called the 12, one of them a devil. So you begin by, by finding somebody to disciple. Robert Coleman in his small book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, has done an excellent job. He brings out eight principles in Jesus' ministry of making disciples, and I recommend that resource to you. Alexander Bruce, The Training of the Twelve, is another book. So how do I make disciples? Pray that the Lord will give you somebody to mentor, to coach, to nature. Very simple, just pray, like Jesus prayed. Then Jesus spent time with them. He simply called them so that he may be with them. In our efforts to evangelize, to shepherd, to nature, to coach, we are at a distance with those we are discipling. I can't imagine discipling God's people at a distance. Thank God for modern technology. So you can have Jared speaking at Covenant Fellowship. Then there are eight satellite churches who plug in to listen to this preacher, usually a famous preacher, by satellite. Like today, we wouldn't have somebody preaching. Tim wouldn't be preaching. You'd be seeing Jared or... Jim Donahue on the screen. MacArthur calls those flat screen churches. There's no place for... Flat screens cannot replace personal discipleship. In discipleship, you are entering into a relationship with those you are discipling. You are mentoring, you are nurturing, you are coaching, you are being an example to them. That's what Paul was to Timothy. Paul writes to the Thessalonian churches. He says, you know how we lived among you. We preached the gospel in spite of strong opposition. You know how holy, blameless we were. We are not men pleasers. We dared to preach the word of God to you in spite of strong opposition. We did not, we did not want to become a burden to you. You became imitators of us, and you became an example and model to the Macedonian churches. Then he brings out two pictures of discipleship. In verse 7, 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, We're like a mother, a nursing mother to our children. We're gentle, caring. We natured you. If you're a mother, you understand what I'm talking about. So just transfer physical parenting or mothering to spiritual parenting. In our church, we have a ministry called Titus 2. We have elderly mothers, more experienced women, who engage young ladies. Sometimes they just hang out with them. They ask questions. So Jesus never placed his disciples in a classroom. I've been studying for about 10, 15 years. Thank God for that. That's why I love the pastor's college model. Nine months, but the emphasis is on discipleship. Alex and I sat in classrooms, and thank God for all that we learned. But it has its own weaknesses. So as Jesus is mentoring, nurturing, teaching his disciples, he does not use whiteboards or, or thank God for all those PowerPoint. Okay, guys, uh, I'll give you this case study, hypothetical case. Suppose we are on the Sea of Galilee and I'm taking a nap. Then let's imagine there's a storm. What would you do? Yes, Thomas? No, you... you had, 
You are a doubter. I wouldn't do that. Yes, Bartholomew. No, 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 no. Lessons came from experience. They wake him up. He comes the storm. Then he gives them a lecture. That's the most effective way of mentoring. Even with children, we, we don't give... Yes, there are times and sessions we have to read the scriptures. Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, we have to write them. But listen, behavior is mainly caught than taught. Just be an example to somebody. And I want to ask you this afternoon, who are you coaching? Who are you mentoring? Who are you spending time with? Who's looking up to you? If there's no one, you are disobeying the Great Commission. As a pastor, I don't, my ministry does not end in the pulpit. It's incarnational. Christ could have done that from heaven using modern technology, but the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And John says, that which we have seen, and the guy repeats himself. When you say that which you have seen, you don't say that which our eyes. No, that's a tautology. That which we have seen, that which our eyes have beheld, that which we have touched, we proclaim to you the word of life. That's, exam that's an example of discipleship. Are you doing that as a church? Now, discipleship starts slow, but thank God that's the agenda for world evangelization. Imagine I'm an evangelist, and I'm bringing in one person per day. Uh, you'll see that illustrated for you shortly. I'm bringing in one person a day to the Lord. In one week, how many people would I have won to the Lord? Seven, right? Granted, all things being equal, as an evangelist, evangelist will. In one, in one week, how many people would I have brought to the Lord if everyone is repenting? Seven. In one year, I would have brought in 365, right? Suppose somebody is bringing 20,000 souls to the Lord in one year. In the seventh year, as an evangelist, I would have brought in 2,555. If I'm winning 20,000 souls to the Lord in one year, in seven years I would have laid 140,000 to the Lord. Suppose Alex is an evangelist. He wins one person and just starts talking to him, puts him in a community group, discipleship group, hangs out with him, encourages him, nurtures him. There will only be the two of them in that one year. But in the next year, there will be multiplication. There will be four of them. And as you go along, let's say in the 32nd year, the evangelist who's bringing one person to the Lord a day would have led 11,680 people to the Lord. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. The one bringing 20,000 souls to the Lord in one year would have led 640,000 people to the Lord. But disciple Alex would have brought in 4,295 uh, people to the Lord. Now, you say, that's not possible. I used to teach math in high school. So you have arithmetic progression in evangelism and geometric progression on the other side. The growth on this end is exponential. Don't admire mega churches. They have their own issues. Willow Creek did their own research. 
they came to a conclusion that we have not been doing ministry according to Christ's command. We have high-tech programs, high-tech music, powerful choirs, but we've just been putting people in programs. So they changed the strategy. The moral of their research is that we can have hundreds of programs, but people may not be growing in faith. In, they are not becoming more like Christ. But I thank God you're on the right track. So don't be intimidated by mega churches. Sometimes pastors in mega churches are just like celebrities. They're just like ranchers to, to just make sure that, no, no, no. A pastor is there to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that people reach maturity in Christ Jesus. And that takes place through discipleship. Who are you looking up to as your mentor, as your coach? Who are you mentoring? So make disciples. A disciple is a learner. So Jesus is saying disciples don't just drop from heaven. They have to be made. So if you're a member of this church, Jesus is saying unto you, mentor somebody. When that person is mentored, let them go and reproduce themselves. That's a strategy for world evangelization. Otherwise, evangelism without discipleship is paralyzed. It's weak. May God bring us to a place where we can obey Christ's command. That's, that, that's the main verb, make disciples. A disciple is somebody who loves Christ more than anything else. A disciple is somebody who bears their own cross. A disciple is somebody who's abiding and continuing in the word of Christ. So we are not just converts, we are not just church members, we are to become disciples, and somebody should be responsible to help us to become disciples. And how do we do that? This is where those words go, baptize and teach make sense. So the main verb is make disciples. So going, baptizing, and teaching are participles that modify the main verb, if my teacher of English was right. That's what she taught me. So in that passage, there's only one main verb. These others look like verbs, or they want to pretend like they are the main verbs. You are not. The main verb is make disciples. How do we make disciples? By going. So those of you who came to Zambia, your labor was not in vain. You need to come. There's a place for going. So we shouldn't tell people, come to our church. We meet on the... There's a place for that. So Jesus didn't say, ask them to come. We should go to them in the highways, in the byways, wherever they are. All spread the tidings around wherever human hearts and human walls abound. So you can make disciples on a school campus, in a school, in a factory, in an office, wherever you are. In fact, that word, go, in the Greek, is kind of saying, having gone. So Jesus is not saying, you schedule this in your calendar. Uh, try to work this into your busy schedule. No. If you are busy in Washington, D.C., make disciples at Capitol Hill. If you are a busy uh, pilot, make disciples on the plate. If you are a busy mom, make disciples wherever you are. Thank God for those who go. I respect them so much. The Lord has used them in Africa, everywhere. But discipleship can be domestic. 
across the world. So don't feel guilty that you are not a missionary, you have not crossed the Atlantic or the Indian Ocean. You can make disciples wherever you are. So Jesus is saying, having gone, do this. And that emphasizes evangelism. We go with the gospel. We preach the gospel of peace. We tell people to be reconciled unto God because we are ambassadors of Christ. We tell them to repent of their sins. We tell them God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. What then does it say? The word is near you. It's on your lips. It's in your mouth. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For whoever believes in the Lord shall be saved. So we go with the gospel. And we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Then when they repent, we baptize them. In baptism, they identify with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. The apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live by the flesh, I live by the Son of Man who died and gave himself for me. Friends, baptism is not just, uh, you know, just a simple experience. No, no, no. And you have to repent of your sins. Because if you just get baptized, the only difference is that you come out as a soaked, wet sinner. That's the only difference. So you have to repent of your sins. Then publicly identify with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Then Jesus says, that's not enough. Teaching them to observe all things as I've commanded you. By the way, this Great Commission is not a North African agenda. Sometimes uh, the Western church wants to kind of say, this is our mission, we are coming to Africa. No, we can come from Africa to you and preach the gospel. When you come to Africa, whether you're an auto mechanic, uh, IT specialist, they'll call you a missionary. When I come here, they'll say, oh, there's an African guy visiting. <laughs> this is a global agenda. The Americans have done a good job, but let the Africans, the Australians, the Aborigines know that this is a global mission because we serve an international global God. And as we teach, let's not be selective. There's a guy, uh, I'm avoiding mentioning his name, he's in the south, pastoring a mega church. People love his preachings. Oh, we are all God's people, we have to be nice. And he has a nice hairstyle, nice. No, we have to be kind to one another. 90% of his sermons about being nice, attend- no, just loving each other. They're kind of, even when you see them, they look like celebrities and, you know, no, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Paul says, I declare, I, I desire to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's what he tells the Ephesian elders. And I thank God for your pastors here. And the best way of doing that is through expository preaching. A.W. Criswell, First Baptist Dallas, he preached from Genesis to Revelation. And the Lord blesses that. Let's preach. No, it's a temptation as a pastor to ride my own hobby horse. Every Sunday, prosperity, money. No, no. 
The, the 66 books are not just about money. They're also about suffering. So let's preach the whole counsel of God. And as I close, Jesus gives this promise of his presence. We've looked at his authority, absolute authority. We've looked at this command. The emphasis lies on making disciples. Those other three activities and others like praying, giving, sending, uh, they have to do with fulfilling the commission. This is the glorious promise. Listen to what the Bible says. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let me just quickly say a few things about that promise. Firstly, you notice that it's personal. Jesus says, I, not Angel Gabriel or Michael, I will be with you. So when people ask me, when we come to Africa, uh, tell us about giraffes and elephants. And say, I can't guarantee that you'll not be bitten by a snake, but Christ will be with you. <laughs> and it's not in my power. I don't control snakes and hyenas and... But the promise is, Christ will be with you. Hallelujah. So the, it's, it's a personal, not the Holy Spirit, Christ himself will be with you. Then secondly, the promise is perpetual. I will be with you always. Not just a few days. That's why the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So even when you're going through suffering, I don't know what you're going through, pain, maybe you're carrying a disease that's painful, incurable, I'm here to encourage you that Jesus is with you personally. And this promise is triumphant. Jesus says, till the close of the age. When our boys were young in Mississippi, they would fall asleep, then I would take them upstairs. I told you my wife is the only girl in our family, so you start taking them one by one. So one boy wakes up and says, Dad, I'm scared. So I'll go in their bedroom, I'll pray with them. As they go to sleep, I'll sneak out of the room. While the boy is sleeping, he's assured of my presence. That's deception. I'm not there. <laughs> I've sneaked out of the room. Friends, we do not serve a deistic God who's out there, then he only steps in when things go wrong. In him we live and move and have our being. He says, Lord, I will be with you always, always till the close of the age. John Wesley, the 18th century Anglican evangelist and founder of the Wesleyan tradition, the Lord used him mightily He's 88 and is about to go and be with his Lord. As he lay dying, his friends gathered around to pray with him. Then Wesley grasped their hands and put together the little and last strength he had. He said, farewell, farewell. The best of all, God is with us. Farewell, farewell. The best of all, God is with us. The Lord connected me with Sovereign Grace in 2002, initially with C.J. Mahaney. Praise the Lord. Thank God for him, Dev Harvey, and other leaders. 
I've been with Sovereign Grace during the storms. Some churches have left, and it can be very discouraging. Covenant Life Church in Gethersburg was the flagship of Sovereign Grace Church. They contributed thousands and thousands of dollars towards the cause. There are some good friends, personal friends who have left. It's very painful. I've had elders, some of the best elders, just come up and say, I've heard from the Lord, even when they've not heard. I've heard from the Lord that I should leave this church. It's very discouraging. When your teenage child just becomes rebellious, when your friends abandon you, that's a time to remember this promise. Lord, I will be with you always till the close of the age. That's the time to remember Wesley's words. Best of all, God is with us. Some churches have left sovereign grace, and may the Lord help them in their new ministries. But best of all, God has been with us. My husband has run away from me. That's painful. I've been abandoned. But best of all, God is with me. Father, we thank you for speaking to us this afternoon concerning this all absolute authority that Jesus has. Not just in Jerusalem, not just in the church, but in heaven and on earth. I pray that we we'll submit to that authority. If you are here this morning and you're living under your own authority, let me remind you that you are being rebellious to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. May Christ come in your life and lead you and control you. May he enthrone you. That's what it means to be Lord. Father, may, be, may, may you have authority over this nation. I pray for our brothers and sisters and those who don't know you in America that they may not panic. They may not quake in their boots because of how difficult and painful and frustrating these election campaigns have been, may they rest in the fact that Christ is sovereign, Christ is in control, is above all. He has authority over Washington, D.C. He has power over presidential candidates, Republican, uh, Democratic nominees. We confess that, Lord, we have put our trust in men. May our trust be in Christ Jesus. Father, may we obey this command to disciple somebody, to start tomorrow, next week, to pour our lives into them, to mentor them, to coach them, to be a model unto them. Like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Father, I'm convicted that many times I have so many worries about the pastor's college, Lighthouse Christian School, Christ Community Church. But you've demonstrated to me and Ziki and those who we work with that we are not in this alone. Even just past partnering with Risen Hope Church, what team is doing with the Eastern region is a reminder, vivid reminder to me that you never leave me nor forsake me. If you are here this morning, you feel abandoned. Listen to this precious promise. Jesus personally says, I will be with you. Yahweh tells Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. So this week as you go out to serve the Lord, to teach, to encourage, to engineer, to do whatever you'll be doing, may the Lord go before you.
In Jesus' name, amen.